Well, we have been spending the summer looking at the Psalms, that wonderful collection of songs that you find in the middle of your Bible. As we've looked at the Psalms this summer, we've not only heard them through the message of Scripture, but we've tried to listen to the Psalms through the gift of music itself, a gift that God continues to use to speak to our hearts and, and speak to our minds and, and to move us in different ways. Um, just as music that we listen to on any given day, some music expresses joy. We find joy in the Psalms. Some music expresses sadness, and we find that in the Psalms. Some music motivates us and gets us pumped, you know, gets us moving. We see that in the Psalms. Some music helps us to get the anger out and, and, and work out our frustrations. We see that in the Psalms also. The Psalms are a gift that speak to our heart, and they open up some of our, our deepest feelings and, and some of our deepest needs. And sometimes, sometimes they just get stuck inside of us. Have you ever had a song that did that, that just kind of got stuck inside of you and you, you just couldn't get it out? It's, when that happens, it's called an earworm. You know what an earworm? It sounds delicious, doesn't it? It's called an earworm when a song gets stuck in your head and you hear it over and over and over again. And so I asked this week in my email on Tuesday, I said, what's your earworm? What's that song that gets stuck in your head and you can't get rid of it. And I got a wide variety of responses. Now, some of you had very good responses. Some of you had some really good songs. One, one person said that their earworm is the song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. That's, that's wonderful. Another person said their song was Step by Step by, by Rich Mullins. And that's a great song to get stuck in your head. But then there were others of you who had very different songs stuck in your head. It, it almost worries me, the songs that are stuck in your heads. One person said that the song stuck in their head is Knock Three Times on the Ceiling If You Want Me by Tony Orlando and some of you are really old. Another person said their song was Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. That's your song that is stuck in your head. Uh, and then, uh, I, do, I do a good job of not naming names when I do this, but Kim Downs, uh, Kim Downs wrote back and she said, that stupid song, Happy, by Pharrell Williams. She said, it just drives me crazy when she hears Happy by Pharrell Williams. You think about those songs, you think about a song like Happy that we would say, well, that, if you listen to the radio at all, that song got overplayed, you know, it got played over and over again. And you start to wonder, what's the most played song in the world? What song has that place where it is played more than any other song? And you think about some of the big ones. Some of the big ones, for example, the Beatles' Yesterday. Remember Yesterday by the Beatles? That's been played over 7 million times since it was first written. That song, Yesterday, gets played on average 380 times a day. Somewhere on earth. 380 times. I don't know where it is that they play that. It's probably several places, right? But boy, they love, they love that song. 380 times a day, they're, they're listening to Yesterday. Now that's 7 million times, over 7 million times, over 8 million times, the song, You Lost That Love and Feeling by The Righteous Brothers? Is that right? Okay, I'll, I'll agree with you. That's been played over 8 million times. But neither one of those songs is anywhere close to matching 
the number one earworm in the world, the song that gets played more than anything else. Can you, can you guess what the song might be? Are you got any ideas? No? Well, let me give you, well, let me just give it to you. What's the number one most played song in the world, guys? Million times. Brandon, you know this song, right? It's a small world after all. Is that it? Oh, it keeps going. Where did I stop? How long this goes? It goes forever. That's right. It goes forever. Fifty million times. It's a small world after all. That's enough of that. Well, I don't know if the Psalms has an earworm, and we certainly can't find anything close to 50 million times, but there is a song that I think God wants stuck in your heads and, and stuck in your hearts. If there is a Psalm that, that God wants to have that position, I think it's Psalm 110. It is the most quoted, it is the most repeated Psalm in the Bible. In the New Testament, Psalm 110 is either directly quoted or alluded to 20 times. In Hebrews alone, it is quoted eight times in that little book. Jesus quoted this psalm to explain who He was. Peter preached from it on the day of Pentecost to explain what the church was all about. There is something important here. There is a message in Psalm 110 that God wants stuck in your heads and in your hearts. Because a lot of things get stuck in our heads and in our hearts if we're not careful. There are a lot of things that, that get stuck there. And sometimes they're not songs. Sometimes they're ideas. Some of them are, are hurtful ideas. Sometimes we get ideas stuck in our heads about who we aren't and what we aren't and, and all that we lack and all that we can't do. And if we were honest, the songs that we sing about ourselves are, are often songs of failure. Not that it's a small world after all, but that I'm a small person after all, and I have a small life. I am weak and I am broken. But Psalm 110 comes back over and over again in the Bible. And as we read it, we hear this message. And it's not just that it's a song about Jesus. It's a song about you. It's a song about all that He has done for you. And what we see from Psalm 110 is that when God sings... He sings a song of your victory. I think, I think there are three gifts in this psalm. I think there are three gifts that God has provided and that He wants you and I to, to have. He wants these three gifts stuck in your head and in your heart. And the first gift is the gift of His power. The power of God ensures that you will never be alone. If you've got your Bible, uh, open up to to Psalm 110. If you've got, a, if you've got an iPhone or an Android, uh, either way, you can pull up the Bible app, the uh, YouVersion Bible app, and you can go to the events section and you can find my notes right there. If you've got one of those blue Bibles in front of you, if you open it up pretty much to the middle, you're going to find the Psalms. And then go to page 509 and you will find Psalm 110. Now the first few words of this psalm are confusing, and I think they're supposed to be confusing. Matthew tells the story in his Gospel that Jesus was being questioned 
by the Pharisees. And, and when Jesus was questioned by them, He quoted the words to Psalm 110. And it says after Jesus quoted this to them, they refused to ask Him any more questions. He, he shut up His opponents. They refused to ask Him any more questions. Well, what did He show them here? And what does He show us? Psalm 110 begins, and you see from the notation there at the beginning, this is a psalm of David. King David wrote this psalm. And then verse 1 begins, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning the dew of your youth will be yours. You know, in ancient times, the person who sat at the right hand of the king was a person of power and a person of influence. And you wanted a strong and wise person to be your hand, to be sitting there at your hand. And ultimately, this, this passage pointed ahead to Jesus. And when we look in the New Testament and we look at the accounts of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, after His ascension, when He returns to heaven, where do we find Jesus? Over and over again, we find Jesus seated at the Father's right hand. Scripture after Scripture draws us draws from this psalm and tells us Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand in that place of authority, in that place of influence. But what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us? It means that the one that you call Lord, the one that you call Savior, the one that you call friend, is in the place of greatest power and authority in the universe. He is the one who gets the final say on your life and your eternity. That's a wonderful thing to know. If we're really honest, we've given that power to other people from time to time though. And we've allowed other people to have the final word on our lives. We've allowed other people to tell us where we've failed. And we've allowed people to tell us that we're worthless. We've allowed people to tell us that we're lost. But the reality is there is only one person who sits in that kind of power over us. And that person is Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul asks the question, who can condemn us? He asks the question, who has the right to condemn us. And there's only one person that he can come up with that has the right to, to say that. And, and he quoting and drawing from this, from this psalm, he says, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, He is the one who can condemn. But Jesus, in that place of power at God's right hand, what does Jesus say about us? Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because while there are times that you and I fail, while there are times that, that you and I sin, our failure does not remove Jesus from His place at the Father's right hand. Your sin does not remove Him from your life. His power continues to rule over you. So the first gift we find in this psalm <clears throat> is the gift of the power of God. We also find a, a second gift, and that is the gift of promise. The promise of God that we can always trust. Take a look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. 
You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now I guarantee that you read verse 4 and your eyes were immediately drawn to that very last word, to the word Melchizedek. And you're sitting there reading Melchizedek and you're thinking to yourself, what's a Melchizedek? What's a Melchizedek? Do I need a Melchizedek? What if I have a Melchizedek? Can the doctor give me something to clear up my Melchizedek? What do I do with a Melchizedek? Your, your eyes are immediately drawn there. And that's, it's a very confusing passage. It's a very confusing remark. And there is no way, there is no way I can make it clear enough to you in the hour and a half that I have left for this sermon. It's not really an hour and a half. It's just going to feel like it. So, set that aside. Set the Melchizedek comment aside. And look at the first half of verse 4. The first half of verse 4 says, the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. I think there's something there we need to hear. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. We need to hear that the promise of God is always sure in our lives. God does not change His mind about you. That's important for us to know. Some of you have known the heartbreak of someone who, who swore and then they changed their mind. Right? Somebody swore to you and then they changed their mind. They swore that they would always be there, and now they're not. And that has torn you apart. That has torn your family apart. Or someone swore that there was something they would never do again. They would never drink again. They would never hit you again. They would never do drugs again. They would never be unfaithful again. And your heart broke as they changed their mind. As something pulled them away from that promise. But the promise that God has for you is sure. He has sworn to you and He will not change His mind. And if we were really honest, some would have to admit you're the one that, that changed your mind. You're the one that, that broke the promise and, and you walked away from someone that you had sworn to or something, some responsibility that you had sworn to and you know that there is this black mark on your life and other people have told you that there is a black mark on your life but God's promise isn't about you God's promise is about Jesus God's faithful to you because of who Jesus is because of who he remains forever and and as he longs to forever be your savior uh, he longs to forever offer you forgiveness he longs to forever offer you wholeness and because of who Jesus is and because of who He longs to be for you, we have the, the third gift. And that third gift is the peace of God. The peace of God that brings victory in your life. Verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Now this psalm was written by King David. And as king, it was David's job to, to ride out into battle and lead the troops in battle. Armies would rally around him. And David was God's man on the throne. He was God's man to lead. And so with David by their side, they could be sure of victory. And you hear that. You hear that assurance of victory in this psalm. Now the language in those two verses is graphic. And the battle is intense. 
And yet before the battle, you hear the promise, the Lord is at your right hand. God is with you. He will bring victory. And then as the psalm ends, the scene changes. The battle is over. And verse 7 says, He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. This is after the battle's over. You don't drink from the brook by the way in the midst of battle. You're not in the middle of war. In the middle of war, no one says, hey, time out. I need a drink. Can I have a glass of water? It doesn't happen. You don't do that. You don't refresh yourself until the battle is over. Until the struggle is won. That's an amazing thought. There's an amazing scene of victory and peace here. And I want you to hear the sureness of the scene. You see it in verse 7? He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. You need to hear the confidence in that. You need to hear that confidence today in the midst of whatever battle you're facing. You need to hear that confidence. Whatever it is that you're fighting, whatever it is that weakens you, whatever it is that has you near your breaking point, whatever it is that you're going through today and you can't see the other side, there is peace through Jesus. And with that peace comes victory and the promise that He will lift up your head. He will give you victory. He will give you peace. There's a very good chance that later today, maybe tonight, after you've left here, maybe in the quiet of your home, maybe right before you fall asleep tonight, you'll be laying there and just thinking and and somewhere in the back of your mind, you're going to hear those words. It's a small world after all. And if that happens, I'm really sorry. It'll be there over and over again. But in those moments when you feel defeated, in those moments when you feel rejected, in those moments when you feel like everything is lost, I want you to remember this. God is singing a song. And the song that's stuck in God's mind, if a song truly gets stuck in the mind of God, it's a song of your victory. And He wants you to know that song by heart. Alana's going to sing for us. First, I'm going to read a scripture to center our thoughts on this song. Um, it's First Chronicles 29, 10-13. And this is David's prayer. He says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God, our Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, God, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I want to hear voices of angels. 
Stand with me as we pray. Come back this afternoon. Ilana and David have worked up something wonderful. We've got some other songs and lots of cookies and cake and punch. And uh, we just love to have you here celebrate with us as we put the cap on our cornerstone. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youths will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Let's pray. Father, there are many here who have never known that there is a song of victory for them. All they've heard is disappointment, failure, and mistake. But You sang the song of our victory. So help us to place that firmly in our hearts and in our minds. Let it be there for us when we desperately need to hear it. And we know our weakness. We know what we're not capable of doing. And so it's amazing to realize that our victory is not dependent upon our strength, but Jesus' place at Your right hand and at our side is our Lord, Savior, and friend. We know victory because He knew victory over the cross and over our sin. And so wherever we are today, whatever battle we're fighting, whatever is coming up that, against us that seems so big and so dark that we can't imagine life free from our fight, help us to know the sureness of Your promise that we will drink from the brook. We will be refreshed. And when it's all over, You will lift up our heads. We thank You for that promise and for all the others that we have through Your Son, Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.